we're in this series called Habits, and we, we talked five weeks about worship. Last week, we talked about the, the habit of being in God's Word. You cannot be a fully devoted follower of Christ and avoid worship and avoid God's Word. You can't do it. It's, it's impossible. So today, I want to start with this statement. Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Let me say that again. Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Name any area. Someone who enjoys worship, they are regularly in the house of God. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. He said, oh, that I may spend all the days of my, my life in the house of the Lord. They are, they're close to God. They're praying, they're reading their Bible, and they're coming regularly to church. That's someone who worships. If you have someone who is financially free, they are doing every day consistently what other people just hope that someday will, will happen to them. Um, if you have a relationship that's strong, they're doing consistently things that build their relationship while other people just hope that their relationship will get stronger physically, whatever it is. It's the small things leading in a direction of big things over time. So last week I mentioned this. I think you're going to know this whether you were here or not. Who was the most successful person in the New Testament we just celebrated? his birthday a couple weeks ago? Really? December 25th, we celebrated his birthday. Who? Jesus. Okay. We're coming to Paul. He's number two. Thanks, John. John was listening. Paul's number two. I'm going to ask you that you get the answer in just a second. You're prepared. Is there any disagreement that Jesus was the number one most successful person in the New Testament? Okay, all right. We're not going to vote on that, by the way. I'm just going to keep going until you agree. Who did Jesus live to please? Not Peter? His, his daddy, his heavenly father. We know that because even when he was 12 years old, in Luke 2.49, I didn't put this on the screen. Luke 2.49, they'd gone to the, the temple to worship from, from Nazareth, 80 miles and when they were heading home, Jesus wasn't with the family. Now, you got to understand, there were probably 80 to 100 people in the extended family, and they're traveling in a caravan. If they go a day's journey, don't see Jesus. They go frantically back to Jerusalem searching for him. When they find him, 12-year-old Jesus is hanging out with the religious leaders, and his mama said, how can you do this to us? And, and Jesus said, didn't you know? I had to be in my father's house at 12 years old. And consistently living for his heavenly father allowed him 21 years later when he's hanging on the cross, when he's done everything to fulfill all of the prophecies of the Old Testament to say, it is finished. What was finished? The work that God had prepared him to do. He did it consistently every day, and then he gave up his life on the cross, and he pleased the heavenly father. Okay, I got a couple of true or false. We got a pop quiz today. It's easy. A couple of, couple of true or false questions. Here's the first one. Jesus often complained that he did not have time to pray. True or false? Thank you. All right, y'all are getting the hang of this. False. The Bible says regularly he got up early. Didn't matter how late he was up the night before. Got up early, went to a solitary place to pray to his heavenly father that gave him power, that gave him strength. Second true or false question. So you only got, you only got two. Jesus said, how long must I put up with you? True or false? Oh, yes, he did. This was after he'd been on the mountain. He came down. They couldn't cast out a demon. His other disciples, he took three disciples with him up to the top of the mountain. And they said, how come your, your disciples couldn't, couldn't cast out? And Jesus said, oh, you unbelieving and perverse generation. How long must I put up with you? It's true. You know how he put up with them? He prayed every day. 
That's the only way someone can put up with y'all. <laughs> he did consistently what others only do occasionally. So in my devotional this week, here's what, here's what I wrote down. The most important part of the Christian life is the part that only God sees. Unless we meet Christ personally and privately each day, we will soon end up like Martha. Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived in Bethany just a couple of miles from Jerusalem. Jesus was always at their house. And you remember the story when, when Martha was preparing a meal one day, Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Martha goes in and says, Jesus, you need to tell Mary to get off her tail. This is the Washburn translation. Get off her tail and help me. And Jesus said, absolutely not. She's, she's doing the best thing, and it will not be taken from her. See, if you're not spending time with Jesus outside these walls, it doesn't matter what you pretend about inside. It's outside these walls. You'll soon end up like Martha. You'll be extremely busy but not blessed. Jesus was very busy and incredibly blessed. You want to be like him? Do things that Jesus did. Okay, who's the second most successful person in the New Testament, John? That would be Paul. Thank you. His name was Paul. Paul had all kinds of habits, but I want to show you one of his habits in um, Acts 17 too. As was his custom, custom's a habit. Here's what he did. He, uh, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three uh, Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So Jesus was always, every Sabbath day, he was in the synagogue. Paul was a follower of Jesus. Every Sabbath day, he was in a synagogue, and he reasoned with them until they kicked him out, you know, because he kept saying, Jesus is the Messiah. You crucified him. They kicked him out. But every town he went to, he would go to church on the Sabbath and reason with them. He had a habit. Now, my question to you is, do you have a habit of praying? Do you have a habit of going to church? Do you have a habit of spending time in God's word? Are you habitually pleasing your heavenly father? You don't have to answer that out loud. But I want to tell you this. This comes from Sean Covey, and he, he wrote um, the, the Seven habits, high, habits of Highly Effective Teenagers. His father wrote the one for Seven the Habits of Highly Effective People. Anyway, irrelevant. He said, our habits will make us or break us. We become what we repeatedly do. Now, how many of you have or have had a bad habit? I'm waiting. Okay. If you've ever had a, a bad habit, then you understand what Paul says in Romans chapter 7. The second most successful person in the New Testament, here's what he had to say. I don't really understand myself for I want to stop eating junk food, stop procrastinating, stop overspending, stop whatever it is. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Two massive problems. I know the right thing to do, I don't do it. I know the wrong things I shouldn't do, and I do it. Massive problem. Now, here's what happens if you have a bad habit. You're going to do exactly what Paul did, and you're going to begin to identify yourself with your habit. Look what he says. He connects his failure to his identity. Oh, what a miserable person I am. You ever been miserable? What a failure. I'm not disciplined. I'm not becoming like Christ. What a miserable person I am. And then Paul does something that you and I don't tend to do. If you're miserable, you need to do the next step. Don't stop in your misery. Do the next thing. Look what he does. He changes his focus. He says, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? And by the way, he's just spent a whole chapter saying, it's not the law of the Old Testament. Religion cannot save you. All the law does is it shows you you're a sinner. Who can save me from being a miserable man? And then he says, thank 
God. The answer is in who? The answer is in who? Jesus Christ. If you want to be like him, you need to do habits like Jesus. We just sang this, and I'd written this down before I even remembered we were, the, the band was singing this song. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. We just sang that. And then we sang, you say I'm strong when I think I'm weak. Who says that? Who are we singing to? Jesus. Who do you believe? If you're miserable right now, are you believing God who says you're strong? Or are you believing the enemy who says you're a failure? Your identity is tied to your failures, and Jesus says it doesn't have to be. It doesn't matter where you are, what you've done, where you've been. The Bible says that where we got our, the name of our church is from 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if any person is in Christ, the old life is gone, a new life has begun. You're a new person. You're going to believe the enemy, you're going to believe God. The old is gone. The new life has begun. If you want to be like Christ, you're going to have to develop some Christ-like habits. So that's what we're going to talk about next week. Today, though, we're going to talk about why do we fail in our goals, especially at a new year. Here's the first reason we do not succeed. We focus on the what, but don't understand the how. Did you know that successful people and unsuccessful people usually have the same goals? right? And I'm willing to bet most of us in this room have similar goals, right? Let me, let me give you an example. How many of you would say, you know, I would like to be more healthy in 2021? Anyone? Right? How many of you would say, I want my cholesterol to be so dangerously high that I might die at any second? Anyone sign up for that one? Oh, give me a break, Jordan. How many of you would say, I'd like to have more disposable income in 2021? Nobody? No, nah, I don't need more money. No. How many of you say, you know, I heard about a loan shark that will offer me $500,000 and will cut off my right hand if I don't pay it back in 30 days. Going to sign up for that one? We have similar goals, right? Who wants better relationships? Anyone not want a better relationship? Anybody say, what I'd really like is my heart to be ripped out and stuck torn apart and spit upon. Anyone? We have similar goals. Successful people, unsuccessful people all have similar goals. Did you know that winners and losers all have similar goals? Let me give you an example. There are 32 teams in the National Football League. How many of those 32 teams at the beginning of the year say, our goal is the Super Bowl? How many? 32. And then they get to the end, they're like, no, we want the first draft pick, you know, because we suck. Okay, so whatever. That's what's just been happening. There's only one winner. Okay, if we all have similar goals, why is there such difference in the outcomes? Let me tell you why. People don't rise to the level of their goals. They rise to the level of their habits. Let me say it again. People don't rise to the level of their goals. They rise to the level of their habits. We mentioned briefly Daniel last week. Daniel was thrown into what kind of den? The lion's den. Do you know why he was thrown into the lion's den? Well, before he prayed, if you go to Daniel chapter 6 and you read some of this, you'll find out that there were 120 provinces in, in the kingdom of Babylon. 
and Darius, actually it's the Medes and the Persians. It had all been combined at, at this point. So Darius the Mede is the king and he puts one, uh, we'll call him a governor over each of the 120 provinces. And then he has three administrators he puts over that. One of them is Daniel. And then there's two others. They don't mention who they are. Daniel was so successful that the king was going to put him as number one, numero uno. I can't speak Spanish. Um, Numero uno. And look what happens. The other two guys, look what happens to the other two administrators. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn because he had some habits. He was habitually what? He was... Always what? He was completely what? So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds against for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules or habits of his religion. You know why I, I believe God blessed Daniel? Because Daniel said, come hell or high water, I'm going to trust God over what I can see. Three times a day, I'm going to get on my knees. And he had read, this is what's awesome. He'd read in Jeremiah that they were going to be in captivity for 70 years. He knew the 70 years were coming up. He would get down on his knees, pray towards Jerusalem, because he said, God, you said you're going to restore Jerusalem. I'm going to pray believing. Whether I ever see it or not, I'm going to believe. And God blessed him for that. You will not rise to the level of your goals. You'll fall to the level of your habits. If you've got an extra 20 pounds, it's because you eat bluebell. All the time. I have an extra 20 pounds. And I got that extra 20 pounds by eating bluebell. To get rid of those extra 20 pounds, I got to have a new habit, George. Your bitterness and your anger in your marriage were created by bad habits of not forgiving, of nursing your wounds. Oh, I'm a victim. And of focusing on the negative. That roadmap never leads where you want it to go. You need a habit of forgiveness, a habit of being positive, a habit of not running your spouse down and calling it venting. When has venting ever led you where you want to be in your relationship with someone else? Please, someone say never. If you have a habit of venting, what you're actually doing is saying, demonic forces of hell invade my life and control my heart and lead me wherever you want me to go. If you want to fix your habits, if you fix your habits, the outcomes will fix themselves. So we're going to focus on that next week, but we're going to talk about today why you're not successful. The first reason is because we focus on the what, but not the how. Second reason we don't succeed is we don't see progress fast enough. All right, truth-telling, this is a truth-telling day. How many of you have gone out and you've worked really, really hard, whether it's at the Y or whatever you're doing, you worked really hard, and you run in and you jump on the scale to see how much weight you've lost after one workout? Anyone? Am I the only one? Okay, thanks, George. Me and George, right? And then you go, come on! You yell at the scale. You're lying. Go get a new scale. Says the same thing, right? We don't see progress fast enough. Well, I worked hard. I didn't get any benefit. I'm I'm not doing that again. You save and save and save for 21 days. I don't know, whatever it is. And at the end of those 21 days, you have $10.50 to your name. Then you get your uh, mortgage in the mail, and you still have $99,700 to go. Then your car payment comes in, $25,000. You look at your $10,50, and you go, this is going to take forever. And you quit, right? 
So what happens is when we do that, we jump to a wrong conclusion. The first wrong conclusion is this. Small decisions don't matter that much. Well, I saved for three weeks. It didn't do anything. I worked out once. It didn't do anything. If you miss reading your Bible tomorrow, will the, will the earth stop orbiting around the sun? No. You, your heart, will begin to stop orbiting around the S-O-N. But physically, you're not going to see any difference. Instead of making a small good decision, you eat half a gallon of Bluebell. Now, if I were, I've never done that, by the way. I've eaten a big old pile. My bowl, when I put Bluebell in, it is overfull. But if you eat that and then you go jump on the scale, do you see a whole lot of difference after you do that one bad decision? No. You play video games for three hours straight. Your wife's not happy, but the first time she doesn't leave you, she may eventually leave you, right? You skip church for a weekend, your whole world doesn't fall apart spiritually, so you jump to your second bad conclusion. Small bad decisions don't matter that much. I don't see the benefits of my good decisions. I don't really see the benefits of my bad decisions, so ding, 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 ding. That summarizes where you are today spiritually. If you're far from God, it didn't happen overnight. One small bad decision at a time, you went that way. If you're close to God today or close to someone, one small decision at a time led you to where you are today. Where you are, to, you're as close to God as you want to be, or you're as far away from God as you want to be, where your choices took you. You don't wreck your life over, overnight. One, one bad decision, it's a whole bunch of bad decisions. And then, then when you're at the bottom of the pit, the pit of despair. If you've ever seen, what was that? Princess Bride. Janie and I actually have a weekend. In our 29 years, there's a weekend where it was terrible. We call it the pit of despair. We got through it. God got us through it. But when you're in the pit, you look at somebody who's crushing it in some area that you're not. And you think, oh, must be nice. But you don't see, they didn't get their success with one major decision. Somebody told me they went and played the lottery last night and they didn't hit the lottery. They said, we wanted to bring you the, the tithe check from that. It didn't work, right? One, one good financial, that, I'm not even gonna call that a good financial decision. But what I'm saying is you don't become a success overnight. It's lots of small, good, disciplined decisions and no one sees all of the stuff you went through. No one knows that you may have been fasting and praying for years, years, looking at my son. That's what I said to him. That's what I said to him in the, in the wedding. We prayed for you. No, 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 you don't understand, son. We prayed for you. He does know. But nobody else saw that. Nobody has seen what's gone on in our home where we were on our faces begging the God of the universe to have mercy on our children. Or on this church. Any success we have, it's, it's due to small, disciplined decisions over and over and over saying, God, you're in charge. You say you're going to restore Jerusalem, you're going to restore Jerusalem. You say you're going to bless New Life Community Church, you're going to bless New Life Community Church. Nobody sees that. Here's what you need to understand. In God's economy, your good decisions are not wasted. They're being stored up. You probably don't see it. 
a God-honoring discipline to read your Bible or to pray or, or to pray with your spouse. You do that over and over and over. And 29 years into, we, we celebrate 30 years this May 25th. And I can say to you that my marriage is more fulfilling in the 29th year than it was in the first year. It's more fulfilling, but it, it is a discipline. We pray together every day. And that means if we have a disagreement, we have to settle that because we're not about to come into the presence of a holy God and say, God, make her change her mind. <laughs> what kind of stupid is that? Know what? Nobody else sees. And maybe you don't see the results of the good decisions, but one by one, they're being stored up and the temperature is rising. And at some point, God is faithful and he tips it over and you begin to experience blessing. What, what I wrote down in my notes a long time ago, I don't even remember which devotional it was, but he said this, he said, what we need in the Christian life is long obedience in the same direction. That just captured my heart. And I thought, God, I want to be one of those preachers because they say that most preachers don't end, don't end their career preaching, right? I want to be one of those. So if you got to take me sooner than later, take me, Lord. Uh, you know. um, I want to be one of those. I've been in ministry for 36 years. That's pretty long in the same direction. I've been married for 29 years. Pretty long in the same direction. It does not, what you want does not happen overnight. You have to do consistently what others do occasionally. Must be nice. You don't know about the self-doubt. You don't know about failing that's gone on in our lives. You don't know about the praying and the seeking God and the enduring criticism, but one small decision at a time, we said, Lord, we are going to follow you because I don't stand before you when I die, and you don't stand before me. We stand before a holy God. And here's what your holy God has said to you, Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. And this, this word is, I think, the biggest two-letter word in the English language. You will reap a harvest. What's that two-letter word? If we do not give up. Long obedience in the same direction. I'm going to tell you something. I think many of you give up right before you were going to see that harvest of blessing. You gave up and walked away. And when you give up and walk away, God's not obligated to pour out his blessing on you. Because the promise, the promise is the harvest of blessing is only for those who do not give up. I'll go back and get that paragraph, Nate. So if the promise is for those who don't give up, let's not become weary in honoring God. Let's not become weary in going to church. Let's not become weary in living by a budget, in counting calories. Let's not become weary in getting up 30 minutes earlier to seek God. Let's not become weary in honoring our marriage because God's promise is there's a harvest of blessing for those who do not give up at the proper time, not your time, in his time. He's storing up all your good decisions. Third reason that we don't succeed is our distorted identity sabotages our success. The enemy of God says, you are a failure. You are a drug addict. You are a divorcee, whatever it is. He tries to label your, your actions with who you are as a person. You failed, so you're a failure. 
But all you have to do is open up the Bible and read just a few pages before you see people of God. I'm talking the big names struggled with identity issues. (laughs) Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, he struggled with identity issues. When God called him, he came up with five reasons, five excuses why he shouldn't be the one to go back to Egypt. And God said, nope, we're going to go. We're going to go. I will be with you. God convinced him, and eventually God used him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Another example, one of my favorites is Gideon. Um, if you get to the book of Judges, one of the things, one of the horrible things about the book of Judges is it says, starts off and it says, everybody, um, as long as the elders who knew Joshua and the other elders were alive, Israel followed God. But as soon as they died, they turned their backs and it said these words, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And God said, all right, you do not want me. You don't want to follow me. You want to follow idols. Let's see how far those idols can carry you. And so they were just being wiped out right and left. And God would raise up a judge when they would finally humble themselves and cry out and say, God, save us. God would send a judge. Sometimes it was years, 10, 15, 20 years, and God would let them be in bondage. And finally, someone would go, you know, we've turned our backs on God. Why don't we call him? He would do something amazing. So what's going on is the Midianites are just destroying Israel. The Bible says that, that um, as soon as their crops would be ready, the Midianites would come in and steal all the crops. And so Israel was starving. So God raises up this guy named Gideon. Gideon is hiding in a wine press threshing wheat. Why? Because the Midianites would have come to the threshing floor and stolen all of his lunch money. So he's hiding out in a wine press and the angel of the Lord shows up to him and look what the angel of the Lord calls him. You you hiding in a wine press. Here's what he says. The Lord is with you. What? I think Gideon goes, where's the mighty warrior? We need him. The angel of the Lord, who theologians believe, it's called a pre-incarnate, meaning before Jesus came on, you know, to the earth, is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. The angel of the Lord, not an angel, the angel of the Lord. And he shows up and he says, you're a mighty warrior. And Gideon goes, no, 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 no. I'm the smallest dude in my family. My family's the smallest in the tribe. You got the wrong guy. And God says, no. I see what you can become with my power. Gideon follows God. Gideon destroys an army. Actually, God destroys the army. 300 people in Gideon surround this massive army, hundreds of thousands of warriors, and they win because God said, I'm going to take you, the smallest of the smallest tribe, and I'm going to deliver Israel through you so that everyone will know it wasn't Gideon. It was Gideon's God. God sees what you can become with small decisions, long obedience in the right direction. Don't give up. The harvest of blessing is for those who don't give up. My first sermon was in 1985. My pastor asked me, I was a youth minister, my pastor asked me like six months ahead of time, hey, will you pray or will you preach for me? I'm going to be gone. I was like, sure. Not thinking that, you know, there would be preparation time and all this. So my first sermon, some of my friends from Baylor came, and um, I mean, like this section, this was as big as the church was. There were like 27 people or something. And, uh, and I preached, and I preached my heart out, you know. And the deacons, the, the chairman of the deacon's wife and one of my friends from Baylor 
walked up to me, and, and you know, I thought, eh, that was all right. They walked up to me, and they said, you will preach one day, and I said, you are an idiot. I will never preach. Why won't you preach? That sounds like the worst job in the world. 19 years later, I'd preached many, many different times. God said, it's time to start New Life Community Church. And I believe it's because of 19 years of trying to make right decisions where I could follow him. God says, I want to do something through you that you cannot take the credit for. Because some of y'all are right now saying, God can't use me. If that's true, you've got the wrong God. Your God is much too small. Because the God I serve knows only how to triumph. We sing that in, I'm going to see a victory. My God will never fail. So before you start with do goals, I want you to start with who goals. Who do you want to become? So I just got some suggestions up here. I want to become a true man of God. Then you better have man of God habits. I want to become sober. Well, you may need help. You may need to get in to celebrate recovery. You're going to need help if you're struggling with sobriety. The lie from hell is you can do it on your own with willpower. Willpower's never been enough. It's supernatural God power. That's why you need a higher power. And in Celebrate Recovery, step three is your higher power has a name. It's Jesus Christ. And you will not get well until you turn all of your life over to his care and control. I want to be a godly mom. Well, you better have godly mom habits. I want to be a Christ-like husband. I want to love my wife like Christ loved the church. I do not have the strength to do that. But my God can do it through me. I want to be a respectful wife. You know, every, every sermon or every wedding that I've ever done, I read from Ephesians chapter 5, and it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Number one need a woman has is to be loved like Christ loves the church. Then the very last verse in that chapter, it says, wives, respect your husbands because a man does not believe you love him if you don't respect him. You chop him off at the knees, you're going to have issues. You respect him and he becomes the man that God wants him to be. It's, it's, it's like he planned it that way. So who do you want to become? Who goals before do goals? you got to decide because your identity shapes your actions. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. So once again, I'm going to say it this way. Do not start with the do, start with the who. And just, the, just a very practical example. If someone says to you, <laughs> do you want a cigarette? You don't say, I'm trying to quit because that identifies you as a smoker. What you say is, I used to smoke. In Celebrate Recovery, the way we say it is, I'm a believer in Christ who struggles with. I'm not a drug addict who's trying to ch chase Jesus. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with drugs or alcohol or pornography or whatever your deal is. Your identity is in Christ. And if you think it's too good to be true, you need to hear these words from Paul to the Romans in chapter 6. Romans 6, starting in verse 6. We know that our own sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that the sin, that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to what? We're just saying, I'm no longer a slave to fear. 
I'm no longer a slave to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Now you are free from your slavery to sin. You have become slaves to righteous living. Here's the deal. The reason many of you are not successful in the, in the Christian life is, is because you don't have a series of small good decisions. You're trying to do things in your power. But whenever you get freed from the power of sin, you have to replace it with something else because you will worship something. And, and you are a very small, very limited power God, lowercase g. That's why you're struggling because you need a bigger God, the capital G, the one true God to come into your life. So, so if I want to be a godly husband, if I want to love my wife like Christ loved the church, then I've got to be a slave to righteousness, which means I have to have habits that lead me towards righteousness. If your old self was crucified with Christ, you are set free from sin. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're a slave to righteousness. The Bible says you're more than conquerors. He says you are overcomers. You're an overcomer. So here's what we say. Oh, what a miserable person I used to be before Christ. But thank God. Thank God. I'm not the man I used to be. A healthy identity creates positive habits. Positive habits reinforce a healthy identity. So I'm a disciplined child of God. I'm a contributor. I'm not a spectator. I'm an ambassador for Christ, which means I better be doing something for the kingdom of God. And can I just tell you, too many people do nothing for the kingdom of God. We have to beg people to sit back here in the... In the media room to run Facebook. How hard is it once a month to go back there and run Facebook so that people who cannot be here on a Sunday can watch? And I am amazed. I'm amazed sometimes where, where people watch us from. Back when we first started the church, we just did podcasts. And there was a woman who drove a bus in Minnesota who listened to our podcast in, in, in 2002. Never forgotten her name because she would send me, every once in a while she'd send me a an email, and I would respond to her. We have to beg people to run sound, to run the computer. We have to beg people to check in our, our kid check. If you have children, isn't it a blessing to know that we have a security system there where when people come in, we, we register and you print this out, and no one can go get your child except whoever that has that card? Doesn't that, doesn't that make you feel good? Yeah, but that's not my job. The Bible says I'm an ambassador for Christ. I'm a neighbor to anyone who needs my help. And I'm a worshiper. And my, my commentator said this. He said, ambassador, neighbor, worshiper. But the greatest of these is worshiper. Because when I worship in spirit and truth, he will change me. I will serve his kingdom. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life I now live in, in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is there anything that I can't accomplish with God's power? No. Small good habits, long obedience in the same direction produces a harvest of blessing for people who do not give up. If you've, been, if you've been needing a sign, I need a place to serve, here's your sign. 
You need to be doing something in the kingdom of God. And as you're doing that, God may give you a greater calling. But if you're not going to be obedient in small things, he's not going to trust you with big things. You have to do consistently what other people do occasionally. And you do it over and over and over until you stand before a heavenly father who is going to judge even the careless words that come out of your mouth. And my prayer is that he'll say to you, well done. You did it for 30, 40, 50. My mom played the piano or the organ in a church for over 75 years. She did it until the day she died. So I'm at 36. I got another 33 years. No, what is that? 43 years? However, I don't know. I got a long ways to go to catch my mama. Long obedience in the same direction. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you that you've given us. Your word says you've given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of you who called us by your own glory and goodness. We have everything we need, but we neglect it. Help us to plug into what we need. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.